You are listening to the second episode of Bring Out Your Dead, the two-part series where Naveen Anbhat and Lauren K. Nixon successfully failed to stick to the topic of pandemics in history. So, yeah, you were saying before we moved to the third pl- pandemic, you said mm. you had something to say. Yeah, it's it's not really related to that one. It's uh, sort of a, a non-plague story. It's a different kind of plague, but I'll leave uh-huh. it till the end because it, it, okay. it's, it's odd. Okay. So the third pandemic, I think, was uh, which, what, it began? It began again, coincidentally, in China. It was during the, I don't know how to, I don't want to butcher it, but uh, because I don't know how to pronounce it, hmm. but whatever the dynasty in was uh, in China at the time. And uh, it ultimately led to 12 million deaths in India and mm. China and uh, 10 million in India alone. So this is the first recorded uh, pandemic in India that I've, I found. Though personally, uh, I, I don't have any, we don't have familial records during this time so i don't know how much it affected the south of india mm. uh, but and also but i, think you I just have would. numbers basically mm. it, and it's also like how we already saw in the two previous pandemics uh, it started in po- the port cities start in bombay and uh, calcutta and karachi which which is now in pakistan and then moved inward i think people in india at the time maybe didn't know because they weren't prepared or something like that which was also maybe the reason why 10 million people died in a space of a couple of years yeah um, and on a scale i think uh, it's something that's very serious but we uh, kind of don't learn of it in history the common man or at least in schools we don't learn of this particular because mm. this i only learned of it in the week in the past week and there is someone who likes history and uh, learning about new stuff and i had never heard of it so wow. it it came as a shock personally i think that's a pity that we don't learn about uh, diseases uh, the history of diseases in schools uh, mm. we and i think this is something that we should so yeah. that's sad i don't really have much to talk about it turns out uh, the, the other this talks about vaccines and other research that uh, british researchers who were posted in uh, india at the time tried to mm. develop and all that but there's nothing about other preventive measures that locals took so i don't really have much to say about it we depend on what was written down i suppose or what's passed down in oral history and if that's not being taught necessarily or that yeah. information's not readily accessible it's really hard to to go oh this is this is what happened yeah since i could not find an account from an indian source like a mm. local thing i mean i i only have british written records of the times so, and they say that they they i mean they claim to have attempted and i i kind of believe them having knowledge of of the times i would say this was during uh, the time when there was growing uh, distrust mistrust what is the term yeah mistrust mistrust yeah, yeah towards uh, the colonizers so mm. i would say the locals wouldn't uh, even if the british tried to explain uh, the locals would so it's like uh, crying wolf you know so yeah. even if the the british officials try to educate the public so i i would i would believe that the locals uh, they, yeah, uh, yeah they, they, i don't have anything to back this this is just something that i was because it, this was during when the independence struggle was trying just starting out mm. people were uh, because uh, probably the eight, contributed to it yeah the 1890s is when uh, i think also 
uh, Indians had tried going abroad like uh, Vivekananda made a speech in Toronto just they were trying to uh, highlight the uh, atrocities and stuff that was going on in India trying to gain uh, you know not exactly sympathy but just trying to spread the word about uh, colonization and the harmful effects of it around the world yeah but there's no real account of what was hap- actually happening 10 million is a lot i would yeah. say <laughs> so i i would expect there have to be like more sources and more accounts of but it's just every all of this is just lost in our uh, independent struggle which is kind I've, of sad i've just had a, a brief scour of wikipedia and all hell wikipedia and all those who sell it but um <laughs> from what it says on there it was still going in 1960 it was the pa- this particular pandemic the third pandemic was considered mm-hmm. active until 1960 when worldwide casualties dropped to 200 per year so that's like that's extraordinary that's within my mum's lifetime that's a weird way to think about that's when that was yeah. happening hmm. no i mean uh the there's there was a there were pandemics of influenza but then i don't know if it's the same as uh oh okay if that's true i don't know if i i i, want, I wanted to talk of this uh, on a at a later time but then hmm. if what you say is true then this has affected my uh, family i would say or my ancestors mm. because uh, this is some this is a bulletin from 1951 that mm-hmm. i have access to because i i specifically looked at it because this is this is part history and part what we talked at the beginning of the podcast as uh, as a legend because there's no evidence to back it mm. and it's bordering on uh, myth and because this is like okay let's this is a story basically it's not exactly okay. history but it has i'll just okay so my grandfather was a school teacher mm. primary school teacher and uh, this is in the 70s and he was posted in a town called yelapur uh, and this is he was there after he retired as well because he settled down there and in, into the until his death in 92 let's say because and uh, coincidentally yelapur is also where i was born because my family mm. was there at the time so yelapur was one of those towns which which came up on one of these ghost towns mm-hmm. because uh, at the time yelapur was a uh, part of the bombay province in british mm. india and uh, according to this paper which i later i mean i looked up uh, and it says that between 1940 to 1943 the whole town was wiped out wow. uh, like everybody died and then of course i mean it there was there was a ghost town and then people came back and settled i would assume and i don't have the exact year when it happened and but considering my grandfather who was a, a government uh, school teacher was posted to the school uh, primary school there so mm. there were people living of course and kids yeah. so and there was a school and everything in by the by the 1970s so this story is he uh, started having dreams uh, so this is the story so he started having dreams every night and he would uh, there was a man who would come in his dreams and say that i need to be freed so i need to just uh, because i'm stuck and i need to be freed and my grandfather didn't know what the uh, you know what the source of this dream was who this man was and uh, he never like it was it was fine he was he found it disturbing hmm. and he went to a priest or a shaman or someone like this a person who you know you tell them your dream and they kind of uh, tell you the meaning of it and all that yeah um, i don't want to be condescending and but i'll just narrate the story as i it has been told to me so uh, he was told that uh, th- th- this is from someone who 
used to be who, who was alive uh, like 30 40 years before and uh, and this person he lives be- below your house and uh, that's how he he wants to be freed and and then my grandfather actually dug dug out the the backyard in his house and uh, we found out that there were remains and oh wow and now that i i when i look and it's validated because people died and there was nobody you know, because mm-hmm. in our uh, uh, culture we cremate Um, because yeah. we cremate our dead but there were dead bodies buried so these are people who died and nobody took care of them because they died out during the plague so this man and uh, and my grandfather found out that this guy who used to be the the village uh, watchman because this hmm. was something that uh, there used to be someone called we say jatka in our local language the village watchman is and this guy's mm-hmm. only job is to go around the village during the night uh, just mm-hmm. tapping his uh, walking stick to ensure that there are no thieves trying to uh, you know just and this person whose uh, body we discovered was was the uh, village watchman at the time the plague hit so my grandfather built a kind of a grave or like a memorial stone kind of thing yeah. for the person and uh, he claims that the dream stopped after that so wow. how i know of it is like this memorial stone and uh, we kind of built like a small temple in our backyard for this person and my mom used to not exactly pray but talk to this <laughs> thing because yeah. she my dad was uh, at the time posted in amritsar in mm. in the year 198 late 80s and amritsar at the time had these uh, there was in, in the it was in the middle of punjab and during these uh, terrorist activities which is going on and then late 80s is when we didn't have even have landlines and stuff in our, in mm. the village and there was we only people used to communicate like my just newlywed mom mom and dad used to communicate with each other using uh, letters or these yeah. postcards and uh, which used to take like a couple of months to you know go back and forth to hear from my dad and so she was always and she was uh, pregnant with uh, me at the time um, and i i would say hormone hormones or whatever it was but she was alone and uh, she would often go and sit next to this uh, stone and uh, weep mm. and just talk to it and she said that and even now i don't know she ki- kind of always whenever we pass by and now no none of our family lives in this but small town mm. but whenever we pass by and we are going traveling and we pass by this town we always because the land that our house used to be we kind of moved away from uh, after mm. our grandparents death we moved to mangalore and all that so the mud house that was there is all gone and there's just trees growing in that plot now but there's this stone in the middle of it and my mom always make sure that she goes and just uh, kind of pays respects to this uh, person that we don't know personally it was some dude who died yeah. in the 1940s but somehow we our family has this connection uh, yeah. we know nothing of this guy or who he was or his uh, his name or his family or no- nothing it's just some guy who appeared in my grandfather's dreams who turns out uh, was buried under our house uh, and yeah and since my mom spent months talking to this guy's memorial <laughs> stone it's there's this connection and uh, since i have seen her do that all growing up we also do it because we just follow our mom's lead yeah. and uh, this i find interesting and then when i went back and uh, and learned of this and it's true so 1940 to 1943 was the time when uh, the pandemic but in the who papers uh, it lists it as plague endemic 
center. Yeah. It says the spread of plague in the southern and central divisions of Bombay province and plague endemic centers in the Indo-Pakistan subcontinent is the name of the manuscript. So yeah, that's I think the personal connection I have with this pandemic. That's incredible. <laughs> it's kind of strange. <laughs> wow, that's cool. Yeah. I mean, not, not cool for the guy, but cool for... <laughs> Yeah. It's weird. I mean, I don't have there's no evidence, right? This is something mm. this is something that's one of those things that isn't, isn't really history but then it's kind of cool to, you know, talk yeah. about to think about uh, because it's something like uh, the spirit of that person who is buried under coming as a dream to another person 30 years later is doesn't really make for history. It's mm. a cool story. Nevertheless. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, let's talk about the other one, the Spanish flow. That there's also mm. some uh, the other one that this is something that I didn't know of. Also, Spanish flu is another thing that I came thanks to COVID. I came mm. to know of and then ha- read reading up about it in Wikipedia and others was also another thing that affected India. And I think this is also one of those 20th century true pandemic of our times. Yeah. Was it? Because it actually affected the whole world. Uh, yeah. And because of the world war that was happening at the time. And uh, uh, I read and how it came to India was... Uh, June 1918 mm. is when it came to India and that was because of the troops carrying the uh, no sorry of the ships carrying the troops who were returning from mm. the first world war in Europe <laughs> so yeah. what was that it killed about uh, I think 14 to 17 million people in India alone wow yeah I think um, it was something close to 50 million worldwide wow um, so yeah a true a true pandemic on the same scale as the plague really yeah and um, to put it in context personal context my granddad was born in 1918 okay so like this is literally living memory although admittedly he wouldn't have remembered that <laughs> and and he's no longer living so living memory for for me him telling me about it so yeah another thing i i found interesting was the word how, how we say we call it spanish flu but then yeah <laughs> apparently <laughs> so the reason we call it spanish flu is it, again it's that desire to make it someone else's fault yeah so in particularly in britain and america at the time the press partly controlled by the government or partly encouraged by the government uh, oh. they they described it as spanish they said this is happening in spain and then they downplayed what was happening in our country mm-hmm. so we think of it as the spanish flu but actually it was just the everywhere flu yeah <laughs> that's just the name that stuck <laughs> yeah and we we're hearing about it a lot at the moment because people are comparing it to covid so yeah you know because that's this is something that wasn't like plague but it was a flu pandemic so i mm. think that's also makes sense because it is compared it's similar very similar to uh, yeah. the 2020 pandemic also but then uh since i think more people died from the war was it than the pandemic uh, because uh, this is kind of something that was downplayed right in uh, in comparison to the first world war um so the total number of military and civilian casualties in world war 1 was around 40 million so it's it's 10 million more were killed by the spanish flu it's more okay yeah but it ca- it wasn't just that one outbreak there are four successive waves of spanish flu i see but again it's like as you were saying there's so much going on at the time what i remember from school was we did the first world war we did the second world war we had a brief interlude about the spanish flu whereas the plague we studied for months so i know more about something that happened 500 years ago than i do about something that happened in my grandparents lifetime yeah and also it's because i think because since this is so close to living memory it is there's less of it in history 
and more of it in media uh, mm. because and also it makes sense that you know media likes to sensationalize nobody wants to talk about people dying from an illness people love talking about who killed who in in the war so i think me- media was more interested in covering the war than yeah. they were trying to talk well, about also- uh, people dying from a flu you also had uh, because it was the last year of the war in britain particularly you had newspaper censors mm. and media censors so like you'd you wouldn't be able to report it as much as having an impact on people in britain because it, that would lower morale and that would give us less of a chance of making it through the war so mm. but they were allowed to talk about it in other places which is again so they talk about it being in spain yeah um <laughs> and uh, to to end the podcast will since we had talked about media let's also talk about uh, media induced mass hysteria we discussed mm-hmm. that we'll talk briefly about that as well there have been i mean it's not really a plague or a, a pandemic scale but then uh, we plan to cover about mass hysteria in history when mm. uh, you said you had a few interesting accounts yeah again okay so we've discussed that i'm a strange person yes uh, i have <laughs> i think we I- established that <laughs> <laughs> listeners will on also many occasions agree. yeah over time <laughs> our, in, over the next few episodes i think our listeners will get to know us and oh, yeah. they'll kind of agree with us so, so it should come as no surprise to you but probably a surprise to our listeners that i have a favorite plague <laughs> And it's okay. the dancing plague. Oh, you have a favorite plague. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's it's the dancing plague. Um, uh-huh. Because it's fascinating. Like the idea that there could be a plague of dancing. Okay. So <laughs> it we're going to go is. back. We're going to go back to the uh, early 16th century. So 1518 okay. f- mm-hmm. to start with. So the landscape of Europe at the time, we've had centuries of plague. We've had yeah. centuries of empire building from various different places. Mm-hmm. Uh, the royal houses of of Europe and the religions intertwined with those have basically laid waste to the continent mm. over and over like there's looting there's there's trampling people are burning down people's farms it, death just comes for you and it comes for everyone around you everything mm. is muddy there's not much food so you know times are hard yeah so <laughs> describe, shall... well described like a true author <laughs> thank you <laughs> <laughs> i worked on this piece before um so it, it seems to be a thing that we keep seeing actually with discussing these outbreaks is they f- they seem to follow uh they seem to start in cities along trade routes and at times when there has been a war so like the, the spanish flu yeah. um because you know you do get malnutrition and you get people vast numbers of people moving around but having yeah. vast amounts of contact with one another so 1518 in strasbourg in Alsace, uh, which is now in Germany. Uh, no, sorry. It was part of the Holy Roman Empire at the time, but it's now in France. There was a woman called Trafeo, and okay. she started to dance in the street. Okay. Uh, and she didn't stop. She okay. started <laughs> dancing with ferocious... Yeah, bear with me. <laughs> so this is with patient zero. This is patient zero, essentially, yes. Okay. Of this particular outbreak. Uh, she started dancing with ferocious energy and was unable to stop. One by one, more people, and again, we're talking about history and people with agendas, later accounts say all young women, and accounts at the time say all sorts of people, so men, women, children, old, young, whatever. 
they all started to join in. Okay. Soon, large numbers of people were dancing. And again, we have to have to question the reliability of the historical sources because some say 40 people were dancers, others say 500, which is a big jump. Suffice it to say, a lot of people were dancing. And they didn't stop dancing. They danced without music, they danced with music. Some people played music to see if it would help them get the dancing out and stop, but it, but it didn't work. They danced through the night and through the next day, and then the next Whoa. and the next. People were beginning to, like, wilt from exhaustion and collapse. Others were laughing or sobbing as they danced. Some were said to have danced until they dropped, collapsing from exhaustion and dying. But probably accounts of this happening is more widespread than it actually was. Again, sensationalism. Yeah. The authorities began to take notice. Though the locals had employed various methods to stop the dancers, various methods including beating their feet with iron rods, which I'm like... Well, I would try and jump out of the way if you were doing that to me. And I probably would stop dancing. But these people couldn't. They seem to enjoy being beaten, weirdly. Which, again, suggests a state of hysteria. Some of them apparently couldn't see the colour red. Others were allegedly enraged by the colour red. I suspect that a lot of these things are rumours that were spread later. Oh, yeah, yeah, but did you hear this? You know, whatever. So, authorities didn't really know what to do. So what they they started doing was removing people off the street and putting them Mm -hmm. in hospitals. Often Often the dancing ceased following exhaustion. So once people had collapsed, they didn't start dancing again. Although some people relapsed a few times later later in life. There was no known cause. As mysteriously as it came, it went away. So, strange as this seems, this wasn't the only one. Between the 7th century and 17th century, across Central Europe, there were many plagues of dancing. In 1394, and this is partly why I wanted to tell you about this one, uh, one of the biggest dancing plague outbreaks began in Aachen. (laughs) It's so this is part of your own city's heritage now. <laughs> so it spread like wildfire, wildfire, like wildflowers, yeah. like wildfire from town to town across Germany and into Italy and Luxembourg. In another 1278, some 200 people afflicted with a dancing plague congregated on a bridge over the River Meuse, which collapsed under their weight and from all the dancing. Mm-hmm. The survivors of this incident were nursed back to health at the nearby chapel of St. Vitus, which is why we sometimes refer to the dancing plagues as St. Vitus's dance. Um, It's also referred to as St. John's Dance. And there were various other large outbreaks over the years. The mania, because it is a mania rather than a disease, so it's a a psychosomatic response to external pressure. So it's a form of hysteria. The mania reached its peak in the 16th century. One notable instance occurred in 1237 when a large group of children danced from Erfurt to Arnstadt, which is about 12 miles or 20 kilometres apart. Interestingly, um, you mentioned him earlier, the Pied Piper of Hamelin, his mm-hmm. story emerged at the same time or within a few years of this event of the children dancing away from one town to another. And I remember I was watching a documentary about myths a few years ago. Allegedly, there is a record in the Hamelin archives, the town archives, with a reference that says something like, it's been so many years since the children went away. Well, so it's a true story? Possible. Wow. I mean, it, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. So all Whoa. myths start with a grain of truth. No. <laughs> yeah. So it might not have been a bloke in, in carnival colours who played the panpipes. It might have been a migration thing. At the time, people were setting up new towns in places where the plague had decimated everything and said, bring us all your, uh, you know, bring us all your children as apprentices. So oh. they might have just all signed, signed up their kids as apprentices. And that's what it was that they all yeah. went away. And it, get, it gets mm-hmm. conflated with this Erfurt to Arnstadt trek of these children dancing so yeah so something happened and that's the story we got is the pie piper um yeah i mean yeah thinking like if you think of it that way yeah of course i mean all stories would have some even if 
like later on they are blown out of proportion but then uh, mm. they start with some some source but then uh, there are also there's dark stories that you don't want to be to be real <laughs> that you wish that it weren't real <laughs> yeah and then you get a story about how it didn't happen you know it happened but everything got, is okay yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so happy endings i like that we're we're still not sure what happened um a lot of yeah. people have suggested various things like epilepsy and chorea and that kind of thing but all of these conditions would explain some of the symptoms but they're also they're not communicative so you can't say that one person's epilepsy is responsible for 500 people dancing on a bridge yeah that's more <laughs> so, like a, a, a flash mob in today's times it's like yeah. uh, 10 people start dancing and uh, others are free to join so yeah. i would i i like i would like to think that something like that was taking place at the time because finding mm. people coming together at the same place and everybody being uh, uh going through the same i would i, would, I wouldn't really believe it yeah uh, it's hard to believe. But then um, hu- human behavior is infectious. So we yeah. are conditioned to copy. So one of um, my friend's favorite games at university when he had a free half hour was he'd go and he'd stare at the top of the building and he'd see how many people would come and join him just oh, staring yeah, that, that, at the, that, the top of the building. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. But, we love um, doing that, don't we? I mean, like, if two people are peeking over the bridge, yeah. uh, people going past the traffic. I mean, like, what's happening? Yeah, everybody <laughs> Must wants be to something know, good. what's going on. What's going yeah. on? <laughs> we love doing that. But then, uh, specifically to this dancing plague, uh, if, like, one person starts going around, I mean, and 20 people join the this person, but then suddenly it goes to increases to a scale of uh, a couple of hundred that Mm. for me i think i mean i get that it's infectious and all that but to the same degree uh, that uh, when uh, the uh, law authorities come and try to what break your legs or what what was that you said (laughs) yeah they try to hit you i mean uh, hit your feet and have you have you ever had contact with a toddler that has worked itself up into such a state it can't stop crying? No. So there's a point where if you you can make yourself actually hysterical. Hysterical is used too often and usually used to describe someone who's not hysterical but is just genuinely upset about something the other person doesn't want to, them to be upset about. Hmm. But genuine hysteria is a state where you cannot stop. You can't stop crying. You can't stop laughing. You can't slow your breathing down. So if they just joined because they're like, oh, it's dancing. But again, you've got to remember that this is a time of extraordinary stress. They're all undernourished. Yeah, they're okay. exhausted. Yeah. They're, maybe this is their outlet. And yeah. suddenly it's it's like a, a steam valve. And it's we've had other weird plagues of things, of mass hysteria since. So mass hysteria is probably the best explanation for it. So in 1962, there were two mass hysteria events in completely different places. There was a laughter epidemic in Tanganyika. Hmm. People just started laughing and couldn't stop all across the town, all across the region. And in America, in the clothing factories, there was like a there was a really tight deadline. People were on very low wages. They were often working two or three jobs. These were women who were responsible for childcare. Some of them had sick husbands as well. So it was all of these mounting pressures. There was this thing called June bug. I I don't know if you've heard the phrase before. It's one of those phrases that goes round and you like you use it and you're like, I wonder where that came from. But mm, they yeah. had a consignment of clothes and uh, they started getting itchy. And the mm. first one person said, oh, it's these bugs. Can't you see them? And then the next person said, yes, oh my God, I can see them. They're all over me. So if you think about, I don't know if oh, we get this a lot. When someone says, you start talking about head lice and mm. you, you know, after a couple of minutes, you, 
you just start scratching your head. Yeah, and you're like, <laughs> yeah okay, I get that. So you get that sort of psychosomatic <laughs> yeah. response. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but they, I mean, these two uh, epidemics were investigated and there was no bacterial or viral agent causing them. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one most recently in a school, most recently, one I heard about recently, uh, a couple of decades ago in a school in, it might have been Malaysia? I forget, and I didn't write it down because I'm an idiot. But um, the there were there was really high pressure on the students to perform, hmm. um, and you know, in the way that you can get in schools sometimes. It was a private boarding school in the mountains. They were completely yeah. isolated, and they start these girls just started screaming, and they swore that they could see a demon, hmm. and they all described the same demon, but they all talked to each other, and and it's like these things spread, but the dancing plague only spread when the next town heard about the dancing plague. Yeah. So it's as yeah. if suddenly yeah, when it yeah, it's this unconscious thing. So yeah. Yeah. I do wonder if we're going to get one from COVID, from lockdowns. It's interesting that you mentioned about uh, uh, the the demon thing, because yeah. uh, this uh, uh, the only account of mass hysteria that in living memory, <laughs> in my living memory, let's say, mm. uh, that I had was during the ni- late 90s. Mm. And this is something that is, if, if you go look up the monkey man of Delhi, and oh yes <laughs> this is during yeah the early 2000 and the late 90s mm. and uh, this is also an hi- uh, history of uh, like uh, an account of mass hysteria during mm. the internet age or during the age of uh, television and all that and this when i mean mo- monkey in the summer during in the big cities in a city like delhi uh, monkeys invade you know uh, apartments and living spaces and they they do that because you they're usually in the trees and all that but then it gets hot in the summers mm. so they want access to cold water and and food and um, they are known to go on the on the terraces of these apartment buildings and mm. uh, open these uh, water tanks and uh, tie and take a dip in them <laughs> because they're hot of course yeah. I mean, they're there and they don't have this luxury of uh, you know we are stuck we are in, indoors with our air conditioning and all that but monkeys they're outside and uh, mm. and it's our fault that uh, we are taking away their uh, mm. their you know ca- canopies and mm. uh, so they turn to us and uh, they it's every summer it happens and during at the time also it used to happen because then and monkeys are smart we know it and uh, apartments which are on at an elevation and they travel from using tra- these telephone wires telephone poles come on because there are vehicles on the ground and they they can get run over and uh, the same height which are like what first or second floor uh, apartments they kind of jump in and they know how to open refrigerators and uh, <laughs> And they know that there there's always going to be food there, like fruits, yeah. fruit or water or anything that we love. So they would come in through the windows and they and if at the time, if there there's someone in the house at the time uh, when they are inside, they can get a bit aggressive because yeah. they are, of course, defending themselves. But then there are there would be these accounts of monkeys who had attacked children who screamed because there was a monkey in the room. And they would scream and then the monkey gets violent because it's kind of trying to defend itself. So they yeah. would scratch, scratch the kid uh, or bite and then run away. So there was this uh, mass hysteria of a uh, monkey-like big creature uh, yeah. going around, attacking people, climbing buildings. And uh, so, and there were multiple accounts so that they, it was in the news as well. Yeah. Uh, in the newspapers and there was a police uh, artist impression by the police saying, if you spot this <laughs> creature... Uh, give us a call so i have a personal uh, i don't know i mean our listeners can't see it but then uh, maybe can show it to you since mm. i am bald right now 
I have a gap here somewhere. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah there's five stitches. <laughs> that was <laughs> me running away from the monkey man. So I was victim to this mass hysteria as well. Oh wow. I was 10 years old and uh, we were playing outside. I mean it was summer so it was vacation and uh, there was nobody at my house. My mom and dad were out shopping and we were playing cricket like always and then we saw monkeys going up uh, tele- these telephone wires and since this monkey man thing was going around in the news and people were like don't go out this monkey man on the loose and I saw a monkey man because I yeah. was a victim of this hysteria as well and I started to run away and I was going towards my house and I tripped on a stone and I fell on a another sharp Oof. stone and I hit my head and then I had to be taken to the hospital uh, ER and all that so this <laughs> this is a, a result of the mass hysteria because and I, wow. I remember telling to the like I saw the monkey man he was chasing me and that is why I fell but in reality I was just running away from a couple of monkeys who were just going <laughs> <laughs> running around on the poles up above so but you're right uh, in 2020 it is a real possibility of uh, yeah. hysteria and all that especially now that everybody is we- wearing a mask and uh, you never know yeah. it could be a story that can come up anytime saying uh, yeah. big things so hooded creature and <laughs> i don't know time is ripe for another urban myth yeah because people are stuck indoors and yeah uh, <laughs> well actually the the monkey man reminds me of spring hill jack i don't know if you've ever heard of him he's a no he was a in london he was okay. supposed to be eight feet tall he had wings his eyes glowed like gas lamps and he could <laughs> spring over like six to eight feet tall uh, walls and fences and he menaced people for for months but not just in london sometimes in liverpool <laughs> Hmm. It's very specific, actually. Uh, so yeah, that's it's one of those things where is it a bloke in a costume trying to scare people, or is it several blokes, you know, or yeah. is it just something that people again misinterpret? Was it they saw someone and they had a light on them, and then they just imagined this? Yeah, he, he's said to have attacked several people. So, but, yeah. I think in some cases, I mean, there have there are many stories like this, right? I mean, it's, it's mm. all over the world. I mean, every every city or village or or a town will have a, a story like this at some point of a stranger or some creature or something. Yeah. And that is passed from every generation, like across generations. And then it the, it kind of, bits are added to it and it start, It gets juicier every time it's, uh, yeah. nar- it, it's narrated. Um, because they're like, there are these monster stories, like the uh, specific to England as well. What's that? The Loch, Loch Ness monster? Mm-hmm. And, well, specific uh, to Scotland. Yeah. And then uh, the snowman, uh, the, the Yeti mm. and, and all that. I, I think it has, it would be like some dude who is in, who like, who lives in the woods mm. uh, away from like uh, the closest uh, civilization, the uh, settle, the settlement and, uh, they they don't know of the existence of this small tribe or this per- one person and then yeah. somebody sees it and then uh, they they have conflicting uh, descriptions and they try and put it together and it and when they do that they kind of uh, exaggerate it i don't know yeah. <laughs> it's just something that it, it's uh, it's interesting uh, to when, when we like when we hear about uh, these uh, stories which mm. is like is not exactly real history but then yeah. uh, 
it has persisted uh, yeah. through history as well because it has an impact like the stories we tell have an impact it has an impact on, on culture yeah. yes yeah uh, but then there's there's no real evidence to back it yeah but it has always been there in history these accounts of uh, crazy things and that's how we we talk of uh, talk of dragons and all these uh, animals and creatures who who biologists would say never existed mm. because they've, they've studied yeah Jersey they've studied devil, natural yeah. history they've studied these organisms so they would say it does not belong to any particular species or animal yeah. but then people have claimed to say that they've they've seen this creature I think in another episode we need to cover like these stories. Legends. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, w- I really want to tell you about the Jersey Devil because he's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we'll do that in another episode. So for now, I think with, with that brings to us to the end of yeah. this episode, our first episode. Uh, in the next episode, we'll uh, talk about uh, writing systems. Yeah. Something like, like that. Something like that. Printing yeah, press. Yeah, you can look forward to that. So please subscribe <laughs> to our <laughs> yep. podcast. Yeah, you can, can you are listening to us on uh, Google Podcasts, Spotify, uh, iTunes or wherever mm-hmm. you're listening to our podcast right now. So please subscribe to us so that you can catch our future episodes. Anything else? Uh, we may develop a, a Twitter and an Instagram, uh, but oh, I yeah. think for the, the moment we're sticking with our own platforms. So you can find okay. me on various parts of uh, social media as Lauren K. Nixon or Lauren K. Nixon 1. There's usually a picture of a weird blonde lady with curly hair. That's, <laughs> that's me. <laughs> yeah. The curly hair is important. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, the the links will be in the description of um, wherever yeah. you are listening to this. So we'll leave that there. And I think it's time to say goodbye to our yeah. listeners. So, bye. Bye. <laughs> See you <laughs> until next time. Goodbye.